Matthew chapter 25 and verse 1. We will read through verse 13. Matthew 25 and verse 1, reading through verse 13. Before we get there, let's spend some time praying together. Let's pray. Father, as we continue this heart of rejoicing in the truth of the gospel, that you are faithful to continue that and empower that which we have committed unto you until that day that either the trumpet of the Lord shall sound and time shall be no more or on that day when our last page that you have written in our book comes to fruition. But regardless of whatever our future holds, in terms of how we get there. But we know that when we have trusted in Christ as Savior and Lord, when you have blessed us with faith and salvation and every good gift, that those good gifts are secure in Christ, in you. And Lord, we thank you for this blessing of being able to gather and remind ourselves of these truths, of these realities, even in the midst of a darkening world that you said would come. Lord, I pray that even as we look towards the end, that we would not take it for granted, even as believers, that we would be ready. Lord, I pray that we would take full advantage of the means of grace by which you have given us in order to be prepared for that day. Lord, your words, prayer, Lord, give us a passion for the gospel and the lost. Lord, give us a hunger for holiness. Lord, I pray that you would help us to have hearts that are continually repentant before you. Lord, that examine ourselves to see whether or not there is indwelling sin within our lives. And we know it's there. Lord, help us to know where it is and how we can root that out of our lives with the power of your Spirit. Lord, it's with that attitude that we come to you and we do confess our sins to you. Lord, recognizing that confession and repentance and transformation are indeed end times preparation. Helping us to be ready for that day. And so, Lord, we confess that we have been too much in love with this world. We've been too enthralled with the politics of our world. We've been too enthralled with sport and with activities and with things, accumulating of stuff as is evidenced by more angst in our souls over ships off the coast of Los Angeles than ships that who are ships of souls who are headed for an eternal hell. Lord, forgive us for, as a church, for having more passion about one when it has no bearing on eternity rather than having a passion for the lost. Lord, forgive us We're grieving about what Christmas would be like this year rather than grieving what 10,000 Christmases will be like for those who are lost forever. 
Lord, I pray that you would break our souls and break our hearts for what breaks yours. Lord, forgive us for loving this world so much that we kind of wish the end would tarry because we like it so much. Lord, I pray that you would forgive us. Forgive us for this worldliness. And Lord, I pray that you would resurrect within our souls, within our church, within churches across this land, within Christians' hearts, a longing for the end that would help us to be end times warriors for Christ in this world that desperately needs people passionate about the gospel and passionate about eternity and the things that really matter. And so, Lord, I pray that you would speak to us from your words. Help us to be equipped. Help us to keep our hearts and minds on the things that are eternal, not on the temporary. Lord, we thank you and we praise you for it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Matthew chapter 25, beginning in verse 1 and reading through verse 13. Matthew writes, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, these words, recording the words of Christ. At that time, the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the groom. Five of them were foolish and five were wise. When the foolish took their lamps, they didn't take oil with them. But the wise ones took oil in their flasks with their lamps. While the groom was delayed, they all became drowsy and fell asleep. In the middle of the night, there was a shout, Here is the groom! Come out to meet him! Then all the virgins got up and trimmed their lamps. The foolish ones said to the wise ones, Give us some of your oil because our lamps are going out. The wise ones answered, No, there won't be enough for us and for you. Go instead to those who sell oil and buy some for yourselves. When they had gone out to buy some, the groom arrived, and those who were ready went in with him to the wedding banquet, and the door was shut. Later the rest of the virgins came and said, Master, Master, Lord, Lord, open up for us. He replied, Truly I tell you, I do not know you. Therefore, be alert, because you don't know either the day or the hour. Let's pray. Father, I pray that you would help us to be prepared, a people prepared for that day and that hour. Thank you that when, you conf when we confess our sins of ill-preparedness, you are faithful and just to forgive us our sins, cleanse us of our unrighteousness. And Lord, I pray that you would help us to be open to that work of preparation for that day in our souls so that we would be those, like we prayed already today, with lamps trimmed and with oil ready to meet the Lord. Lord, do that work in our hearts and souls by the power of the Holy Spirit and help us to be about kingdom business, working for the Master from dawn till setting sun. Lord, we thank you for it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. In uh, Oklahoma, sometimes you go to bed fully expecting that you might get woken up by a midnight cry in the middle of the night. And in the middle of the night, as you are woken up by this 
midnight cry. You might have to get up, put your shoes on, go into the bathtub, and wait it out. What am I talking about? Well, something, thankfully, we don't have to deal with here. (laughs) My homeowner's insurance is 20% of what it was in Oklahoma. (laughs) Not kidding. (laughs) Nine years, I replaced my roof three times, so. (laughs) Because of hail in the middle of the night. What am I talking about? I'm talking about going to bed and there being on the forecast, watch out, pay attention, make sure your shoes are beside your bed tonight because in the middle of the night, the cry of a tornado siren could scream across the countryside and you could be woken up from your sleep and you may have minutes if it's a good warning, seconds if it's kind of like it was when I was a kid, and seconds to go get into your safe place, get into the bathtub, get into your safe room, get in, get underground, get in your basement, whatever it is that you have, get there because the tornado is bearing down on your house. The midnight cry is something I am very familiar with, having grown up with this in order to be prepared on those evenings you you have to have certain things gathered around and so what we would do in our house when we lived there in Oklahoma is we would when that was when it looked like that might be the case for that evening when that was the forecast said we would have the radio ready with batteries inserted already under the radio already in the safe room So that when we get in there, we would not be dependent upon electricity because it might not work, but that way we could hear what in the world is coming to our home that particular evening. And not only that, we would keep our shoes beside our bed, our socks next to our shoes. We would make sure that the children, each of them had, we actually did it, we had, each of them had, had helmets we had bicycle helmets or football helmets or baseball helmets that they batters helmets that they would wear we had those ready to go not when they went to bed but ready to get up when they got up and we had we would actually take all of our family albums and put them in the safe room because if our house was completely blown away like we had seen so many blown away especially in the Moore area we wanted to make sure that we had what was most important to us number one our children and number two our memories the things that cannot be replaced and so we would go in there we would be ready for that midnight cry flashlights water some cash wallet keys maybe even some food all ready to go having seen so many others wish they would have had these things that they would need if their house was destroyed in the middle of the night if they heard that midnight cry now i wonder if we as believers reading this passage hearing and seeing that indeed one day there will be a midnight cry we don't know when it will be even as we've already sung already it may be at night or it may be at noonday fair we don't know when it is coming but we know that there is coming a day when there will be a shout that resounds not across the countryside not across the county but across the entire universe a shout will ring across the 
entire universe and the dead in Christ will rise first and we who are left will be caught away to meet the Lord in the air. Encourage one another with these words, Paul says in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. But here in this passage, Jesus warns us, be ready, be ready, be prepared. Even as folks in the Midwest and in Tornado Alley are prepared for the midnight cry of a tornado siren so we as believers gathered here in the northwest and gathered across the globe we must be ready for the appearing of our christ we must be ready for the sound of the trumpet call of god and the the point of if you think that sounds strangely familiar like last week's point you would be right (laughs) because here at the end of chapter 24 in parable after parable the parable of the fig tree when he talks about noah when he talks about the catching away or the 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 judgment falling on one in the field when he talks about the parable of the servants and the ten versions and the talents and the sheep and the goats all of them have the same point over and over and over again jesus is saying in fact seven times be ready be ready be ready be ready you don't know the day or the hour be ready be ready jesus why is he saying it why is jesus saying this more than once i think he's saying it more than once because he's getting across a point that he he wants to make sure resounds in our hearts and souls gets deep within the very fibers of our being. The constant temptation, listen, the constant temptation for believers is to get lackadaisical, to get lazy, to fall asleep in our readiness so that day might actually catch us unprepared. And Jesus over and over and over again is saying, you need to hear this. You need to hear this. In fact, the very last words of Christ, the very last teaching of Christ here in the book of Matthew is this, be ready, be ready. Last words are important, aren't they? Aren't they? The very last words Jesus would have to for his disciples before in chapter 26 when there's the plot to kill Jesus and the anointing at Bethany and the Last Supper. The very last teaching of Jesus in Matthew to his disciples is be ready. Be ready for my appearing. It might come quicker than you think. It might come later than you think. Regardless, it's coming an hour you don't expect. Therefore, be prepared. What I want to do today is I want to, I want to walk through this parable. I want to first give you the historical background of the parable. Then I want to walk through this parable, and then I want to give three points of what Jesus is saying here in this parable, all with the overarching theme, be ready, be prepared for the coming of Christ. So what is the historical background? This is one of the important or one of the parables where it's vital, it's important for us to understand what is the historical background to what is going on here. The background of this particular parable is are the wedding customs of that day. The wedding customs of Israel in that particular period or that particular time frame. So Jesus is saying that the kingdom of heaven is like ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the groom. Now, what's, what's going on here in this wedding illustration? We know in that day, weddings were often arranged by parents. Weddings were often arranged by moms and dads getting together and deciding this would make a good couple, and they would arrange a particular marriage. And once the marriage was arranged, then the couple would be betrothed. 
And that was kind of like engagement, only more serious, only more intense, only more legally binding. The only way you could be unbetrothed from someone is to get a divorce. And so it was like marriage, but yet the marriage was not consummated at the time of betrothal. At the time of betrothal, the groom would then take upon the responsibilities of getting his household in order, getting ready to bring the wife into the home, getting ready to start a family. And so he would be building his house or building out where they were going to be living, making sure that he had sufficient means in order to support a family in that particular day. And the betrothal period, the period of preparation could last anywhere from a few months to even a year. Then when all of the preparations were made, and interestingly enough, in that particular day, not only would the groom make preparations for how the couple would live after the wedding ceremony, but oftentimes the groom would even prepare the ceremony and the feast itself that they would have around that wedding season. Totally opposite of what it often is today in today's world. And so during that year or months or year of preparation, the groom would be preparing and then the wedding day would finally come. And that's the, what Jesus is using as the illustration here is the actual wedding day of this particular couple. Those weddings in that day, interestingly enough, typically happen on Wednesday nights. <laughs> I've never done a Wednesday night wedding. <laughs> and so they would typically happen on Wednesday nights in that day when it was time, it was a community celebration. And the night would begin when the groom, after all of the preparations were made to begin the feast, and the feast would usually last about a week before the wedding was finished. And so beginning on Wednesday night, typically sometime in the evening or late at night, the groom would leave his house accompanied by the groomsmen, would go over to the bride's house, and then they would meet the bridal party, the bride and the bridesmaids, and, the, and they would escort the bride and groom, all of the bridal party, all of the groom's party, would escort the bride and groom through the streets of the town at night, saying, it's time to celebrate, y'all come. And then they would get to the wedding celebration, the wedding feast, they would get in there and they would have a, a celebration of this new couple, this new marriage. Now, since the wedding procession happened at night, the bridesmaids had a very critical responsibility. So what the bridesmaids would do is they would be the ones who would provide the light. They would be the ones who brought lamps or torches. Jesus is actually using the word, not for lamp in this passage, but it translated into our understanding, it would actually be the word torch. And so they would be preparing the light. And in that particular day, they didn't have any electric street lights. They didn't have any neon signs. They didn't have anything that they could shoot into the sky saying, hey, look, there's a wedding here. No, no lasers, anything like that that people use today. It was all natural light. And if you did not have a torch, if you didn't have a lamp lit, it would be complete and utter darkness out there in the streets when you were out there calling everybody, hey, y'all come out to the wedding. No, it's dangerous there at night if you don't have a torch. It's dangerous at night if you don't have a light. And so the bridesmaids were responsible for providing the torches, being ready with the torches in to provide the light so that the wedding party could get to the wedding. And so what they would do is they would get, basically the torch was a stick with claws that were wrapped around it, but the claws themselves were dipped and soaked in oil. 
And as those were soaked in oil, they would light the torch on fire. And the way they would keep the torch lit is they would either dip it in oil or they would either wrap additional cloths around it to keep the torch lit so that the light would continue to provide illumination for the party as they went to the wedding. Now, with that historical background, let's take a look at the parable of the ten bridesmaids. Jesus, in this parable, is telling a very simple story. He's telling the story where there's three main groups of characters. There's a groom, there are five wise bridesmaids, virgins, five wise bridesmaids, and five foolish bridesmaids. Notice in Jesus' parable, he is assuming but not talking about the groomsmen. He's assuming but not talking about the bride either. He's talking about the groom, and he's talking about the bridesmaids in particular, and this singular responsibility of the bridesmaids to have the torches ready to rock and roll, ready to go at that particular moment when it was time for the bride or the groom to arrive. So it's wedding night for some of their best friends. The bridesmaids have all been invited to serve in this incredible honor to provide light for the couple as they paraded through the streets at night, that Wednesday evening perhaps. They know that weddings happen at night and that grooms can sometimes be delayed in that. And then you're seeing how it's kind of so totally opposite. Grooms can kind of be delayed in that day because they're getting final preparations ready to go. Everything got to be exactly perfect for that wedding. It was an honor-shame issue in that particular culture. Everything has to be just right in order to maintain honor in that particular society. And so the wise bridesmaids, the wise bridesmaids, Jesus says, brought extra oil while the foolish bridesmaids were unprepared. They were not ready for this appearing, for the appearing of the groom. The groom's appearing takes longer than the bridesmaids expected it to happen. The sun sets and the minutes we're into hours and with the fading of the lights and with the smell of the burning oil and all of the calmness that that setting gave to them they began to doze off in fact all 10 of them doze off waiting and then around midnight A cry goes screaming across the countryside. It's time. It's time for the wedding. The the groom is on his way. Everybody wake up. This is the time. The groom is at the gate. It's time to go. All of the virgins get up. They light their torches, but the foolish ones look down at their oil can. They look down at the rags they have that is soaking in that oil, and they realize they did not bring enough. They were unprepared for the coming of the groom. And so at that moment, they plead, the foolish bridesmaids plead, with the wise bridesmaids please give us some of your oil our lamps are going out and we did not bring any and they say oh no the wise bridesmaids say we cannot share with you you must go and you must go to the shop owners and hopefully they're still open and that day they actually would stay open late for uh, on wedding days go to the shop owners and buy oil for yourselves 
so that you can have enough oil. Now, you might read that and you might think, they're mean. <laughs> Just share. Come on. <laughs> well, here's the problem. They didn't have enough oil and cloth in order for them to get all the way, all ten of them. If they halved what they had, they would not have enough to get everybody there. And it would be a horrific thing for them to be in the middle of town and the torches go out and they have not arrived at the wedding celebration yet. So it's not about being nice. It's about being cordial to the bride and groom. Five working torches are better than ten torches that go out before you get to the feast. And so they say, no, we have to have, we have somebody has to have a torch that's lit here. And so you're going to have to go back and go get some oil while we keep going to serve this couple, to serve the bridegroom. It would be horrific for all ten of us to not serve the bride and groom in this way. Let's not have this tremendous loss of honor of wandering around town in the dark and everybody wondering, well, this is a great start to a wedding. (laughs) So they go back to buy oil and the five wise virgins got to, or bridesmaids, got to celebrate the coming of the groom. The groom arrives. They go around town and celebrate. It's time. The wedding is here. The bride is this joyful in her countenance as they, as they go across town, as they celebrate this new couple. They get to the banquet and they close the door and they begin celebrating. And then the foolish virgins arrive. They knock on the door and they say, hey, let us in. They use the words master, master. If you were to look at the original languages, it's the word curie, Lord, Lord. Let us in. Lord, Lord, let us in. Lord, Lord. They call him Lord, Lord. Come on, open the door. But the master says through the door, doesn't open the door, I do not know you. Jesus says, be ready because you do not know the day or the hour. Be ready because you don't know the day or the hour. Now, what is the point of this particular parable? What are some principles that we can learn from the parable of the ten bridesmaids? It's very important as I read commentaries. It's interesting to see, in fact, throughout church history, especially the Middle Ages, <laughs> how people have interpreted this particular parable over the years where every little thing can have a symbol or every little thing symbolizes something. I think we have to be careful when we come to parables not to try to make every little thing symbolize something. In fact, even one interpreter said, well, there was five wise bridesmaids and five foolish bridesmaids. Therefore, at the end of the ages, 50% of people are going to be saved. Huh? <laughs> I don't think that's what Jesus is saying there. I, think it's, I don't think it's going to be that much. <laughs> I hope it's that much, but I don't know. When there's never a percentage given, we don't know. I don't think it's going to be many. Jesus talked about a broad road leading to destruction. And many there be that find it. Somebody else also tries to, many, many, many people try to figure out, what is the oil? Is it the oil, the Holy Spirit? Is the oil Bible reading? Is the oil sharing the gospel? Is the oil good works? What is the oil? He doesn't say. (laughs) When Jesus doesn't say, we don't need to say what he doesn't say. What does Jesus say the point of the parable is? It's one thing. Jesus says the point of the parable is one overarching principle. Be ready. 
Why does he have to say that over and over again? Because he knows us, <laughs> and he knows at least one guy that's alive in 2021 needs to be reminded, be ready, be ready. Jesus is coming at an hour you do not expect. Be ready. Let me unpack that principle in three ways. Be ready. First is this. Jesus' return may delay longer than you expect. Jesus' return may delay longer than you expect. One of the things that I love about being around people who are older than I am is they oft, I often hear this, this same refrain. I've heard it from several people, both in, well, in Louisiana, Oklahoma, Kentucky, and, and also here in the Northwest. I hear the same thing. I sure thought Jesus would come back before now. <laughs> I'm really surprised it's gotten this bad. Anybody with me on that? <laughs> oh, yeah. I think a lot of people are that way. I'm really surprised he hasn't come back before now. The, you know the spirit of this parable. What's interesting is the parable is at the end of chapter 24. He makes the opposite point. In the parable of Noah, when he's talking about Noah, and when he's talking about the parable of the good steward or the good servant, the opposite point Jesus is making, Jesus is going to come back sooner than you think. Now in chapter 25, Jesus' Jesus's point is, I'm going to come back later than you think. Which one is it? Yes. <laughs> he's coming at an hour you do not I love talking to my grandmama about this. She loved Christ appearing. Like the songs that she, 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 we sang today, my grandmama would be dancing in the aisle. <laughs> I mean, she was Pentecostal. She would do that anyway. But, um, right? <laughs> but, um, but she loved his appearing. Those are some of the songs. She played the organ. So she, that was her son, the song. She would just, and she like, played all the keys on the organ. I mean, she was just go after it. I mean, it's like incredible. Filling the house with joy. She, ta- she often told me this. She said, Travis, here's what I've learned. He says, she said, live like Jesus is coming back tonight. But plan like he's not coming back in your lifetime. What does she mean by that? Be ready. Be ready at a moment's notice. Be ready all the time. Live. Share the gospel. Strive for holiness like it's coming back tonight. But also save and prepare and get ready and make plans like he's not coming back in your lifetime. It would be foolish of us as a church to say, ah, Jesus has got to be coming back in five years and not plan for generations to come to be right here sharing the gospel and preaching the gospel and loving Jesus and loving our community for decades long after we're gone. And so we as a church need to be both prepared. Christ could come back tonight. Christ could tarry for another hundred years or another thousand years. We don't know. We must preach and love and share the gospel like he's coming back tonight and strive for holiness like he's coming back tonight, but also prepare like he's not coming back in our lifetimes. What are we leaving for the future generations to hear the good news that Jesus says? The central point of Jesus' parable is one simple warning. When you are surprised by my return, and you will be, have your Christian life in such order that you were always prepared. When you are surprised by the appearing of Christ, 
have your Christian life in such an order that you are always ready to go? Are you prepared for His appearing? Are you ready to go at any time? Are you preparing like He may not come in your lifetime, spreading the gospel to generations to come, building ministries, building life in such a way where generations you may not meet might hear the gospel in the days ahead. Number one, Jesus' return may delay longer than you expect. Number two, spiritual preparation for Christ's return is non-transferable. It's non-transferable. Your preparation can't count for somebody else and you can't get to heaven and be ready because somebody you know was really good at this. Quote, unquote. Really good at my grandmama, she was a really faithful Christian. My mom, she loved Jesus. Well, that's great. I'm really glad about that. What about you? My dad was really faithful, you might say. He loved Jesus, he loved the Lord, he was in church all the time. Great. I, I think that's amazing. I'm really thankful for that. That's really good. But what about you? You can't get to heaven on someone else's oil. You won't be ready because somebody else is prepared. You have to be ready. You have to be prepared. Just like I said earlier, they could not share the oil because it would go out in the middle of town. Everybody has to have their own preparation for being ready on that day. You cannot prepare for somebody else. You have to be prepared yourself. They have to be prepared for themselves. It's kind of like in, in Oklahoma when the, when, the, when the tornado siren would come across the countryside. I couldn't say to Mandy, ah, I forgot to put out my shoes and I don't know where they are. Let me have yours. <laughs> That would be mean in so many ways, but Mandy's shoes don't even fit <laughs> my feet. I could say, well, you wear one, I'll wear one. And then we, at least we have two working feet if there's glass everywhere. <laughs> well, that won't work either because it's really hard to hobble on one working foot when the other one is getting cut by all the glass that's everywhere after a tornado destroys your home. A.T. Robertson in his book word pictures says the following he says and perhaps we are we are to understand that there is something in the coincidence of the lamps going out just as the bridegroom arrived mere outward religion is found to have no illuminating power mere listen mere outward religion has no illuminating power if all your faith is in Christ is this stuff, out, outside stuff, I look good, I go through all the motions, I, I know how to impress. But inside, I'm harboring selfish pride, sinfulness, resistance to the gospel. All of these things. Outward religion is powerless to save. That's the point Jesus makes over and over and over and over again to the Pharisees. It's all about outward religion, not about life transformation, not about life change, not about, about a, a true faith in Christ, not about 
faith evidenced by a changed life. All of these realities, if it's just about the motions, if it's just about the outward impressions, then that is powerless. To save your parents' preparation will not suffice. You might say, I was baptized as an infant. And I said, that's great. That was a, great, that was a, a nice spiritual event for your parents. You have to decide for yourself whether or not you're going to follow Christ. You have to trust in Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord. You do. Nobody else can decide this for you. Only you can trust in Christ as Savior and Lord. You must live for Him. You must recognize Jesus as Savior and Lord of your life. No one else's good works, no one else's spiritual preparation, no one else's faith can suffice for your salvation. You must trust in Christ as Savior and Lord. And if you hear Him calling you, if you hear the cry that will one day ring across the universe, if you hear it ringing across your heart, drawing you to faith in Christ, then yield to the voice of the Holy Spirit within your soul to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ today and be saved. Do not wait. Do not delay. You don't know the hour of His appearing. You don't know the day or the hour you must be ready. You must be born again. And that's the good news of the gospel is the Holy Spirit does work in hearts and lives, overcoming our resistance to the gospel. The only force that could ever, the only power that could ever overcome our resistance is the power of the Holy Spirit working in a heart, drawing us to Himself. And when He does, yield to the Spirit. Yield to His working. Yield to His call. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and be saved. Your church membership won't save you. Just because you're on a roll of a church, that's just a name on a piece of paper. Well, now it's a name in a database. <laughs> Not unimportant, by the way. <laughs> Certainly, something valuable and something the Bible teaches to unite yourself with a local body of believers that of like faith and practice who can help hold you accountable and they will, who encourage you and teach you the ways of Christ, the good news of the gospel, absolutely important, valuable, an aspect of discipleship that he talks about here in the New Testament. But just because you join a church doesn't necessarily mean that you're a believer. In fact, I think there are probably many on rolls across churches in the United States. Evidence number one, Southern Baptist Convention claims 15 million members. Only about six or seven million come to church. I think that, and more than half of them, we don't know who they are. <laughs> That's an indictment on us. But it's also an indictment that says, just because your name is on a roll doesn't mean that you're saved. Examine your heart to see what this, this passage reminds me of something that Jesus has already said here in the book of Matthew. Matthew chapter 7, verse 21. Jesus says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many, many, camp out on that word, many, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? We were good preachers and cast out demons in your name. We did miracles. We did mighty works in your name. And then we'll declare to them, I never knew you. 
Same words. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Alfred Lloyd Tennyson once wrote a poem that was inspired by this particular passage. I want to share it with you. The poem is entitled, Late, Late, So Late. The first two lines are the voice of the foolish bridesmaids knocking at the door. The third line of each stanza is the voice of the bridegroom calling back in response. And he says the following, Late, late, or the bridegrooms, or the, 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 the bridesmaids, who, the foolish bridesmaids say the following, Late, late, so late, and dark and chill the night. Late, late, so late, but we can enter still. Too late. Too late. You cannot enter now. No light had we for that we do repent. And learning this, the bridegroom will relent. Too late. Too late. You cannot enter now. No light so late and dark and chill the night. Oh, let us in so that we might find the light. Too late. Too late. You cannot enter now. Have we not heard the bridegroom is so sweet? Oh, let us in, though late, to kiss his feet. No, too late. You cannot enter now. The point of this story is that preparation, spiritual preparation, is non transferable. And you may think you have on your own timetable, your own time schedule. In fact, we could say this. If you think that you can make this decision, that you can follow Christ on your own timetable, in so many ways you're wrong. (laughs) When you hear the Lord speaking to your soul, that is the time to decide. You cannot follow Christ on your own schedule as if you were the master of the universe. You're not. Trust in the Lord Jesus Christ today and be saved. Prepare for the Lord's return today. Finally, number three, be alertly preparing for the return of Christ. As believers, we are to be continuously prepared for the midnight cry. You don't know when it will come. We must constantly be prepared to meet Christ face to face. What if He came tonight? Would you be ready? What if He came next week? Would you be ready? What if He came in 20 years? Would you be ready? The point of Jesus' parable here is to be always ready for His appearing. Let that be the aim of your life, the aim of every day. If he comes back today, I want to be ready. I want to be ready, doing what he wills, living out a life of holiness, being prayed up, being read up, sharing the gospel, leaving it all on the fields. I want to be ready every single day. Perhaps it would be a good practice to wake up every morning and say, today might be the day I need to be ready. When you're tempted to sin, this next minute might be the day. I need to be ready. I don't want to have the judge open the door and find me that way. I need to be ready. I don't need to wait. I don't need to put off holiness. I don't need to put off righteousness. I don't need to put off sharing the gospel. I don't need to put off any of these things. I need to be ready, ready, ready. Be ready. And so the question 
of the passage for you believers. Are you ready? Are you prepared? Are you ready for the trumpet call of God? In his resolutions, Jonathan Edwards talks about being ready. Jonathan Edwards' resolutions, I commend them to you. If you've never read Jonathan Edwards. He's the guy, same guy who preached sinners in the hands of an angry God. He wrote more than that. <laughs> a lot more than that. I commend his, all of his works to you. But he wrote a series of resolutions. You can find them on the internet. They're really powerful. I want to read verse, se- uh, verse 7. Number 7 and number 19 to you as we finish today. Number 7. Resolved. Never do anything. Never to do anything which I should be afraid to do if it were the last hour of my life. Number 19, resolved never to do anything which I would be afraid to do if I expected it would not be above an hour before I should hear the last trump. Are you ready? Be prepared. Let's spend a moment in silence as we respond to what the Lord has shown us today. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your goodness and grace in our lives. We thank you for the grace of this passage that you knew in our fallenness, that our constant temptation would be to not be aware of your appearing, to live life as if you are not going to appear at any moment, or perhaps that living life in such a way where we don't plan, like maybe you're not coming back for another hundred years or more. And so, Lord, I pray that you would help us day by day and through our planning as well to be prepared for your appearing. Lord, I pray for those who do not know you as Savior and Lord. Lord, I pray that you had been working on their hearts. Lord, that they would maybe came into this service not believing or turned on the broadcast not believing in the middle. They like, I need to trust in Jesus. Lord, I As you've been drawing them to you, Lord, I pray that they would trust in Christ as Savior and Lord today. Lord, I pray for those who are believers that see that they're not ready. Lord, I pray that you would help them during this time of response to be ready, to make that their aim this week and in the days ahead, that that would be their response to this message, which today by day, live in anticipation of your appearing. Lord, to awaken our hearts to that reality that every day could be the day. And Lord, I pray that we as a congregation would be ready every day and also be working in such a way where we're ready whether you come now or whether you come a hundred years from now. Lord, help us to be constantly ready for your appearing. Lord, I pray that you would work during this time of response. We thank you for it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.